Well, today we continue in the season of Pentecost, just begun a few weeks ago. Uh, you might remember when we started this season of Pentecost, we saw, of course, the Holy Spirit fall upon the church for the purpose of uh, empowering that church to share the gospel with the known world at the time. They're given the power to speak in all these different languages so as to communicate to as many as possible. And then since then, we've seen various texts in the lectionary show us the church going out on mission, not merely staying in Jerusalem where the Spirit had fallen initially, but doing as Jesus said before he ascended to the throne, which is to bring the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and eventually to the ends of the earth. And what we're going to see today is, well, Jesus described to his church that although they will be sent out, they're not going to be guaranteed that it will be easy. In fact, there will be many challenges along the road. And so to look at that, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 33 today. Matthew 10, verses 16 through 33, as Jesus describes what the disciples, his apostles, can anticipate in their mission. It reads like this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my name's sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. End of reading. Father, I ask that you would take your word now that we have heard and speak it clearly through my feeble and imperfect lips to those that you have gathered I ask that you give ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit is saying and that you would equip us for the task ahead of us as your missionaries to the world. 
We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, earlier this week, my boys, 14, 13, and 8, set out on a glorious mission. No, their mission was not to head off into battle of some sort, nor was it to take some great hike into the woods to find resources that could potentially benefit humanity for the incoming future. No, instead what they did is they set out on a mission to stay all night long on the trampoline in our backyard. To prepare for the mission, they gathered supplies. Each of them gathered a blanket and a pillow. For rations, they gathered a jar of Jif peanut butter and a few slices of bread. They did, however, forget utensils to spread said peanut butter on the bread, but you know, what ebbs when you're on mission, things like that are just not all that essential. They gathered each a water bottle so that they would have drink for sustenance. And for entertainment, they, well, they each grabbed a device. My youngest one grabbed his Nintendo Switch, and the older two, of course, had their phones. So, really, they had everything necessary for the mission. All that was needed now was for them to arrive at the destination, the trampoline, which took them about five seconds from the moment they exited my back door. And then they simply had to stay on the trampoline throughout the night. Now, being their father, I gotta admit, I was a little skeptical that they'd be able to do it for long. But, to my surprise, an hour went by, I looked outside, peace. Everything was going fine. They were laying back, they were playing on their devices, they were talking with each other. I thought, well, if they can make it an hour, maybe they can make it two. And they did, they made it two hours, and still, peace. Peace, everything was going good, and I started to believe maybe, just maybe, they could actually accomplish the mission. But friends, I'm sorry to report to you that they did not make it to hour three. At about the two and a half hour mark, first my youngest one came in shortly after the other two did as well. I asked what happened. Why did the mission come to such a quick end? Well, turned out one boy was smacking his lips too much while he was eating, and that annoyed the other two boys enough that they no longer wanted to complete the mission at hand. Sometimes fulfilling the mission isn't easy. Now, of course, I'm being tongue-in-cheek here. I'm being funny because I just wanted to tell you about my kids. Uh, but the truth is, the church is called out on mission, and it actually is hard. Jesus is abundantly clear about that. Yes, the Spirit has empowered the church. Yes, the Spirit is going with the church. Yes, we never go alone. And yet, the reality is, there's, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. There's danger lurking all around. And what Jesus is going to tell his disciples in our passage today is basically all of that. He's going to tell them about the danger of the mission. He's not going to hold anything back from them. He's going to tell them about the strategy that they'll need in the mission. He's going to tell them about the content of their mission. And then finally, he's going to tell them about the comfort they will receive in the mission. And I think all of these things still apply to us today. So first, let's look at the danger of the mission. 
From the outset of our passage, Jesus pulls no punches. I love this about Jesus. He always tells us the truth, whether we're ready to hear it or not, unflinchingly. And boy, can the church expect danger on the mission. From the very beginning, he says, you're going out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You might remember last week in our passage, Jesus said, I look at the world and they look like sheep, harassed and helpless, essentially in the midst of wolves. And I want people to know that they can be saved and delivered from that. But also when you go out on mission, you can expect to go the same way. Vulnerable, weak, not able to really accomplish much. Now you would expect that for the mission, Jesus would want to send out the coolest of the cool and the strongest of the strong and the most popular of the popular so that people would naturally be drawn to following him. But no, no, Jesus doesn't do that. He says, no, you're going to be like sheep in the midst of wolves. You're going to be vulnerable and weak. I mean, think about it, folks. Have you ever been flipping through the channels, come to the Discovery Channel, and seen a great battle to the death between sheep and wolves? No, you haven't. Of course you haven't, because there is no battle to be had. The wolves tear apart the sheep with ease. They can tear apart a whole sheepfold with ease. There is no competition. Jesus says, have that mindset. Be aware. That's how you're sent out. And what happens as a result, practically in our lives, Jesus gives all sorts of warnings. There's going to be hardship. There's going to be persecution that will inevitably come our way. There's going to be physical pain and sometimes emotional pain and, and family rejection and even death that will come the church's way. And we certainly see that in the early church. And for that matter, we see it all around the world today. There's going to be lots and lots of rejection, church. So the question that comes to my mind when I get that imagery is who on earth is up for such a task? I mean, who wants to do that? And the answer is, in and of ourselves, we're not up for such a task. We can't. Unfortunately, just being real here, confessing to you, I have learned this the hard way Far too many times, oh, how prone to independence I am and to spinning my wheels in my own strength, always to no avail or to make matters even worse. In the early days of Epiphany, I've said this many times, I don't want to go over it all, but I was determined to reach people. I didn't know anybody when we first moved into Manhattan, and so I needed to get to know people. And so I went out to cafes and to every other place I could possibly meet human beings to network and to talk to them ultimately one day about Jesus. It's what I wanted to do. And so every day I would start conversation after conversation after conversation. And, and at the end, I would ask for their email or some other means of contact info so that I could continue the dialogue to eventually bring them to Jesus. And what I found very quickly is that even though most people were willing to have a conversation with me and even give me some form of contact information, the vast majority, after that one encounter, were almost never willing to continue the dialogue or the conversation again. This was incredibly discouraging. I would send emails and texts and whatever I could to get in contact and they wouldn't get back to me. 
I was so disheartened and so tired, but I knew we had to keep going in order to get some kind of church moving. I needed to have people. And so I would go out again and again and again. And my wife, Missy, saw me getting exhausted. She saw me getting tired and oh, just, just going out with in my own strength and failing so miserably. And she'd say, honey, why don't you just take a break and spend the day in prayer? But still convinced of my own skill set and my own charm and my own abilities, I can remember thinking, I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to do that. You see, what had happened is I forgot who I really was in this mission. I forgot that in and of my own strength, I'm a sheep in the midst of wolves, that I'm going to get torn apart, that I can't handle it. And neither can you. Frankly, neither could the disciples. We ought to remember our position. We're sheep. And yet, to be fair, we are not simply sheep. Jesus doesn't just end with the dangers, but he does go on to share a strategy for the mission as we go out to the world. Jesus says as we go, be wise as serpent and innocent as doves. What a contrast in creatures for us to model. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Usually when we hear serpent in scripture, of course, we're we're usually meant to think of something evil or bad, frankly, even satanic. I mean, the devil and the serpent are used interchangeably in Scripture, especially when you get to the book of Revelation. But here, in a rare turn, the serpent is used as a model for us. And what is the serpent doing, or what is the serpent's model? His wisdom, his cunning. The serpent knows how to navigate his way around the world in such a way that, well, frankly, people often don't know the snake is coming. Here's what I think he means. I don't think he means that we're to be deceitful, obviously. That would be a breaking of the commands. But I do think he means we ought to be, we ought to try and be a step ahead. We ought to try and anticipate the kinds of objections that people we come across might have towards the Christian faith. We ought to go with knowledge of what they have to say and wisdom for how to address what they have to say. I think it's sort of echoed for us in, in Peter's epistle, his first epistle, chapter 3, verse 15. Very famous verse. It's really the apologetic verse, not the only one, but kind of the biggie. He says this, Be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Be prepared to give a defense, an apologia, an apologetic. Be ready for the objections and the questions that come your way. A few weeks ago, you might remember, we saw really a great model of this as the Apostle Paul speaks to the intelligentsia in Athens. He doesn't there go there and start quoting from the Old Testament to make his case. No, knowing his audience, being aware of who they are, he references their own poets and references their own idols and uses those things as a springboard to present the gospel of Jesus Christ so that he might get a better hearing. As Paul says, describing his own view of himself, being a missionary, I want to be all things to all people. So too, we're called to be wise like that. 
to be aware of who we're speaking to and how we might answer whatever questions and objections come our way. And yet, we ought not be smug. Because Jesus goes on to say, be innocent as doves. Now, what does that mean? Well, I think it means just what it says. I, I think it means that we are to go to the world with integrity. It doesn't mean that we, we pretend we're sinless. As a matter of fact, one of the ways that we go to the world with integrity is acknowledging we're flawed sinners too. I think too often the church is trying to present themselves as holier than thou and has ended up looking hypocritical because, frankly, a lot of the time you're not holier than thou. But to walk with integrity, to walk with honesty, to be real, to be innocent as doves. Peter says it this way. When you do give a defense, in that same passage, when you do give an apologetic, he says, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So there's the tension. The tension in these two pictures is a very real one for the church as we engage the world in, in mission with the gospel. On the one hand, we want to be wise in our approach, thoughtful and, and able to dialogue and hear people's skepticism and answer their questions. But we don't want to be smug. On the other hand, we want to be innocent as doves, but we don't want to be naive or pretend that we're more innocent than we are. That's the strategy for how we engage the world. But of course, that's not all. Jesus moves on and gives us a little clearer the content of the mission. After describing all the hardship and struggle and strife that will come his disciples' way as they make their way in the world, he says, have no fear of them. Who's them? The wolves. The world. Have no fear of them. Why? For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden, that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim, preach from the housetops. Notice what it is Jesus says is the content of the church's message. What I tell you say. What I whisper to you, preach. So the question for the church is then what has he told us? Well, in its broadest sense, what we've been told is that every human being is created in the image of God, and yet every human being is sort of in a lost state away from God due to sin. He has told us that he has instead come to seek and save the lost from their sin, and he has told us that through his life, death, and resurrection, that he has done everything necessary to redeem and find those who were lost, restoring them to the Father that they had run away from. What have I told you, Jesus says? That. What do I want you to preach, church? That. And please notice, when this message is preached, 
that this word has power. It does something to those who hear it. It reveals what the world wants to keep covered up, and it exposes that which the world wants to keep hidden. The idea behind this is that Jesus' disciples are meant to go out as truth-tellers to the world. Jesus' disciples go out refusing to make rationalizations for their own sin or to downplay others' sins. The church of Jesus Christ goes out on mission not looking for political favors or political advantage, but it simply goes proclaiming the truth. The truth that needs to be forgiven and yet at the same time declares where that forgiveness is found in Christ Jesus. And now you just might be able to understand why it is that the world might have some hostility to the church. If we go out as unflinching truth-tellers, even if we do it in the softest of tones. I'm not talking about going up and yelling in people's faces or holding offensive banners or anything like that. I'm just saying, even if, listen, if you come to a person that's looking to hide something because of shame or guilt or remorse or whatever it is, and even if you just whisper and allude to that truth being there, you can expect hostility. It happens individually and it happens Corporately, it happens nationally. I can't help but think of uh, the movie Chernobyl or the, the miniseries Chernobyl that came out a little while ago on HBO. It's phenomenal. Uh, and it's, it's interesting for a few reasons. Of course, uh, first of all, it shows really the wreckage that, that came and the disaster that came as a result of this nuclear power plant blowing up in former Soviet Chernobyl and what damage it did to everywhere. But also most interestingly to me is well, what happens to various characters in the show? After decades and decades and decades of everybody in so the Soviet Union be, uh, being filled with propaganda, it becomes painfully clear to all that what matters most, more than anything else, certainly more than truth, is always projecting Soviet competence and strength at all costs. And as a result, what you see throughout, especially the first episode and into the second episode, and really throughout the whole series, is you see all sorts of government officials all the way up to the top unwilling to face the truth because no one wanted to face the harshness that came with it. And as a result, much more damage is done and less containment happens because no one wants to really acknowledge it. And finally, when someone does acknowledge the truth, what happens to the truth teller? They're ostracized, they're condemnable, they're not seen as heroes, but as enemies. We've seen this recently in China with Dr. Li Wenlang. When coronavirus was first spreading, when COVID-19 was first spreading, and the Chinese government was wanting to downplay the seriousness of it, saying it wasn't that big of a deal, Li Wenlang got on social media in, uh, well, basically in disobedience to his government and said, I have to tell you as a doctor, this is far worse than anybody is telling you. You need to be careful. This can wreak havoc on the world. It can cause disaster on the world. Li had it himself. He knew what happened as a result of him telling the truth. 
That very day, he was summoned for questioning by the government and was forced to sign a document in which he confessed to saying nothing but, quote, unfounded and illegal rumor. Sadly, shortly after Lee Wen Lang died, succumbing to the virus. The church can expect when we go out and we tell the truth to a world that wants to keep everything hidden and wants to downplay and wants to rationalize and wants to make excuses, the church can expect that when we say, you're a sinner that needs forgiveness for every part of your being, that yes, it's going to face some hostility. Sure, the truth will set you free, but it doesn't mean it won't make a bunch of people mad first. But that's what we're called to do. Declare the truth about the human condition. Declare the truth about the only Savior from that human condition, Jesus Christ. And to do so confident that in the end, somehow, some way, God will actually accomplish his mission through us as we do. We are to trust in that message and know that it is through that message that the Spirit is going to change lives and is going to transform fellow human beings. That he's going to find lost sheep. But thankfully, the message doesn't end there because Jesus ends his talk with his, his disciples encouraging them with the comfort they can have in the mission. It's so fascinating to me that in the first number of verses all the way up to verse 27, Jesus describes terrible, brutal hardship that's going to come their way. And he describes, uh, you know, the sheep were like sheep amongst wolves. And yet, all of a sudden, it turns. Verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot fill the soul, or cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two, two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. How is it that we can go out as sheep among wolves? How is it that we can straddle the fence between being wise as serpents and yet innocent as doves? How is it that we can be bold enough to tell the truth to those that we come across? Well, as I said earlier, in and of ourselves, we cannot. We just can't. Like in the early days of my time with Epiphany, we'll just end up spinning our wheels and exhausting ourselves, frankly, being consumed by the enormity of the task at hand. And that, church, is why we need to remember that as we go out, that we do not go out alone. We go out with a father who knows the very number of hairs on our heads. We go out confident that even if everyone rejects what we have to say, we who have acknowledged Jesus before men will be acknowledged in the courts of heaven as he promises here. We can go out as vulnerable sheep on mission, acknowledging our weakness. Why? Because always and forever we are accompanied by our good shepherd.
So going back to those first days of the beginning of our church, after working in my own strength far too often and failing an awful lot, I predictably got sick. And I mean really sick, to the point where I couldn't go out for a few days and try and meet people. I was forced to stay home. And so finally, I took my wife's advice that I should have taken much earlier. I had to get sick in order to do it, but I started to pray. I prayed that morning for God to somehow reach people even in the midst of my being down and out for the count. I'll never forget what happened that day, Epiphany. As I laid in, on the couch under a blanket, sicky, <laughs> I got three random phone calls from people I had never met before wanting to know more about our little new church in New York City. How on earth did that happen? Here I was, I've been going out day after day after day and, and finding all sorts of rejection. And finally, I'm knocked on my buns. I'm forced to lay down on the couch. I can't do anything. And God brings people to me to hear about the church. And at that moment, of course, I remembered once again my position in this whole thing. Working in my own strength, I'm a sheep that's going to be torn up by wolves, man. And you are too. But going as a sheep relying on the good shepherd, well, you can be assured that that mission is going to be accomplished because he said he's going to do it with or without you. Oftentimes, even in spite of you. And that is indeed the case for his disciples and for you and I this morning. As the Apostle Paul was told, by Jesus himself when he was also struggling in his ministry. Paul, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That is our hope. As we, yes, acknowledge the danger of the mission and the strategy of the mission to bring the content of the mission, that ultimately our Good Shepherd goes with us to comfort us in the mission. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that as you send us out that we do not go alone. Help us, therefore, to be people of great dependence, not independence, not thinking that we can do it on our own. That will only lead to great frustration and failure, but dependence. And through that dependence, use us to bring your good news to the world. We ask this in the name of Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray with one voice. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. 